everyone. Welcome to a very special episode 51 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. What's up? And we are joined today by a special guest, uh, SCG Atlanta Open champion, Zan Syed. Dude, Zan, how's it going? <laughs> Zan. It's going, it's going pretty well. What's up? What's up, guys? So Zan is a uh, friend of both of ours on Team Lotus Box with Collins. It has been kind of rough watching you bubble so many times over the past like like two months or so so it was it was really awesome to see you get there finally uh in atlanta that that was super cool man no definitely yeah 12 threes at gps are definitely rough <laughs> but i mean but, uh, let's, let's be I'm fair what, how many 12 threes did yeah. you have like in a row in the past gp uh, season or whatever it was like uh three, three out of Three out of four or something. And that's that's just a ridiculously good accomplishment. So Zan's been doing very consistently excellent lately. So it's not really any surprise at all to see him take down take down Atlanta. And but you know, overdue. Overdue for sure. But I do want to say one thing. Uh, I I don't think I would have played Infect if it wasn't for Collins. He's the one. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Well, I mean that's, well, awesome. that's and that that's pretty much as good as top eighting on your own. So yeah, that's good. yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, before we get too far into it, just want to quickly thank our our new patrons Ben S and Sean Hunter. Anybody else who wants to support the show can head over to Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast. We got some rewards, Discord, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for the support. And yeah, should we kick things off with a keyboard mulligan? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I, uh, I've i been playing standard a little bit recently. There's a, a standard uh, Moto PTQ coming up this weekend, and the format is brand new, so I've wanted to experiment with it a little bit. I've been playing, and I know this is a deck that I've said I've hated before, but now with Bolas the Ravager present, it's become, uh, I think, a lot more playable. Uh, so I've been playing Grixis Energy, although I've cut the Whirler Virtuoso, so I don't know if it's an energy deck anymore. Um, but so this is a hand, this is game two on the play versus zombies. And so this is a two land hand, Fetid Pools and Field of Ruin. And it's got Magma Spray, a Braid, two Vraska's Contempt, and a Glint Sleeve Siphoner. So two lands, a whole boatload of removal spells, and a Glint Sleeve Siphoner to sort of get you some card advantage at some point. So um, I can give my thoughts about this, but I'd, I'd definitely like to hear from from you know both of you guys first before I I say what I what I was thinking when I saw this hand. Yeah, I mean, um, so the, kind of the problem with the hand is that we we're a little low on lands um, and we don't have a red source, right? So we have the fetid pools as our easy turn one blue black tap land. You know, turn two we can play fetid or field of ruin and play our glint sleeve siphoner. But, you know, uh, beyond that, we're, we're lacking the red source that we need for our Magma Spray and our Braid. So, like, if we get stuck on the two lands, we can't really cast our, our like, early interaction pieces that I feel like is probably going to be pretty necessary against a deck like Zombies. So, you know, definitely a risky keep if we decide to keep it. Um, kind of, like, the benefit is that we get to, like, have our Glint Sleep Siphoner as our turn to play on time. We can probably get an attack with it and, uh, you know, eventually draw an extra card to try to, like, draw into the lands. 
I'm, I'm pretty hesitant to keep this though on the play. My my philosophy with sevens lately has been if you're trying to get there, you might as well just go to six because six card hands I think are generally you know just as fine. But you know that's definitely more of like a modern shaped theory instead of a a standard mm-hmm. theory. Like in in the older or in the you know in the less fast formats, you're more incentivized to keep more hands just because you you know the games are slower. You're not as punished for stumbling. But particularly against a deck like Zombies, I think that we are going to be pretty punished for stumbling. Like, if we brick for, like, you know, a turn or two, I think that we're just going to lose. So I would, I would lean more towards mulliganing this hand. But I could, I could definitely see arguments for, for something else. Zan, you want to give us some of those arguments? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm actually the exact opposite. So I feel like this hand has, like, it has all the tools. So Glensy Siphoner being our engine, I would assume that this is game two, we're playing against zombies, that they would board out some number of fatal push. So there's a high chance that our Glensy Siphoner is going to live. So mm-hmm. now the question is, can we get our Glensy Siphoner through? I think that as long as we draw one land, since we played Fetid Pools on turn one, that means that a majority of our lands that are not Canyon Slough or Fetid Pool will come in untapped, which means that on turn three, after when we played the Glen Sea Siphoner, at worst case scenario, we can use the Field of Ruin to cast the Magma Spray. So the Field of Ruin represents that we're going to be able to cast the Magma Spray if we draw any untapped source. Well, and remember though that this is against zombies, so they do have to play one of their, you know, they have fewer non-basics than any any other deck in the format. So that's one yeah. thing that, that no. you, know, you got to yeah, yeah, think about yeah. here. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 you you do you do get me there. I don't think that they play Field of Run, but I know that they play Ifner Deadlands. I think yeah, I they also... usually play like Deadlands and like two Scavenger Grounds or something as additional deserts. But but it's definitely a, a concern. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. As far as like, let's say we draw the red source, I I I feel like we have all the tools to win the game, and there's a really high chance that our Glimpse Siphoner is going to be able to draw an mm-hmm. additional card. Which would get us to that Veraskis. I yeah, I see the point as to like we have the tools that we need to, to win this game, but I think that our like post board configuration in this matchup is actually just like so well equipped to handle what zombies is presenting. Like we, you know, our hand has a bunch of removal spells in it, which is or like kinda like the tools that you're talking about that we need to get there. But our, our entire deck is pretty much yeah. just like removal spells and like creatures that are going to be really difficult for them to interact with. So I feel like that's kind of like, in my mind, a, an interesting uh, argument towards like deciding to mulligan. Because if we do mulligan and get like a better ratio of lands and spells, I'm pretty sure that whatever spells we happen to draw, I think are going to be pretty impactful here. Yeah. No, no I, I completely I completely understand that. I think the I think this this hand specifically would totally come down to how I'm feeling about the format as well. Just like uh, Collins and CCR mentioned that, like if we can afford to stumble or not. Yeah, I I haven't played Bix's Energy in quite a while, and a lot of it's changed. Especially the fact that I've never played Bix's Energy without Whirler. So that's also a thing that would. Uh, change change my decision, but from my former experience, I would I would keep this hand. But I'm super greedy. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. yeah, I I have been pretty greedy in this standard format right now, and I think it's been mostly paying off, especially in a an attrition based like removal heavy deck like this. I think greed is is usually 
kind of where you need to be. Like being down a card in a matchup like this, where you're just like pointing removal spells at their guys over and over again, is it, it, it doesn't feel great. And already being on the play, um, I mean, here, yeah, like if we don't draw the red mana, then we're down a million cards and we just never get there. But I, I feel like the upside for this hand, and this deck has 14 red sources in it. And I, I I think the upside for this hand in drawing the red source is so high. Like, this is kind of the perfect hand if we hit the red source on, on turn two or three. This is exactly what you want to be doing. Because as Zan said, uh, the Siphoner is so likely to survive. They usually take out their fatal pushes and maybe leave in a couple of cast downs or something. Um, and so that means that the the... You know, if they take the time to use a removal spell on the Siphoner, they're not applying that much pressure, so they probably will elect not to do that. And so getting an extra card out of it, like, and then that fuels your strategy pretty perfectly against yeah. zombies. Um, I think uh, my inclination is to take the risk here. Yeah. Uh, one rule that I've, like, one type of scenario I like to create over and over again is if... If towards the end of the game you just needed to top deck a land to win the game, like would you take that risk? I feel like a lot of players don't do that at the beginning of the game, and um, yeah, I just like to create that scenario. Uh, well, uh, like take that scenario and and use it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, very very close hand for sure. So probably probably a pretty good keeper mall here. Yeah, I, I this one was definitely. I, I think I took about three minutes off of my clock <laughs> trying to figure, trying to like do my math right, and right, right. make the decision. Um, yeah. Sweet. So, yep. Yeah, these these mid range decks in standard have the mulligan decisions have been like some of them are, are really interesting just because going down a card uh, in standard right now when you have ten plus removal spells in your deck really it, you know it, it's a big cost. Yeah, yeah. And stumbling like hurts, but having cards, you know, like I've got like sweltering suns in this deck. Having cards that can help catch you up if you stumble a little bit can make it worth, you know, just to make sure that you got enough cards. So definitely a, a different sort of mulliganing philosophy than the the super linear modern decks that we've been playing yeah, recently. That's fair. Yeah. And that's probably, you know, uh it's probably gonna influence my bias here a lot, is that I'm, I've been used to playing a lot of really linear aggressive modern decks and just like, you know, throwing away medium hands left and right. So uh, it's probably just like maybe not something that you can afford to do in standard. Mm -hmm. so. Right. When your whole deck is medium cards and medium <laughs> hands. Yeah. 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 yeah what do you, right, right. what do you do? Sure. Different, different scenario. Yeah. If this hand was an infect hand, it, it would, uh, it would be <laughs> not so good. Not so, those Varaska's Contempts are. Plus <laughs> yeah. 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 So far away from casting. <laughs> so definitely now, now if we're going to get into it, I just kind of want to focus on this tournament, your, your prep for it, like how it went, if you have any interesting stories to tell, like, so how did you end up uh, settling on infect for this tournament? Uh, how did, uh, how did that come about? Well, Collins messaged the, the whole Lotus box group saying that uh, he thinks infect is really well positioned and that he's been pretty much dominant online as well as uh, he won an IQ uh, with Black Green Infect. So I got super excited and I was like, uh, I got to test test this deck with you. And so Dylan, Collins and I were the main, main guys really testing it. And 
after after like three or four leagues with black green infect i kind of wanted to play blighted agent again so i built Saltai, <laughs> then felt like i was taking too much damage off the lands and then came back to blue green and was kind of done with testing earlier than usual like i was done a week early because I five owed uh, a league and I felt like my list was really well, really, really tuned. Yeah. Yeah. We, Zan and I kind of diverged. I, I kind of ended up sticking with the black green list and Zan figured out, I guess, earlier than I did that Blighted Agent is just so necessary for this, for the, for the infect to lists. Uh, so I ended up playing, I ended up playing black green, but Zan stuck to his guns and played blue green. And I'm glad he did because he, uh, he took down the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't really. Sam, interesting. was there any was there any particular like like things you stumbled on? Like I know you have like the two iron claw or the two Iker claw mirrors, which not every single blue green list has. Um you're on Rancors. Uh I guess that's pretty common, but but you know, was there anything that you think that people were doing kind of wrong with the list before that you you corrected or, or anything like that? Well, um I actually played like the same 60, the same main deck at not this last invitation, the invitational before. I basically played the Invisible Stalkers and the Rancor and the Iker Clamir uh, before. And I kind of knew that, like, in a, like, and it, th- at that time, it was able to survive the Death Shadow uh, meta. And so I felt like if I'm dealing with Jeskai instead of Shadow, which is it, uh, Jeskai is an easier matchup, then I should be totally fine. Um, I should actually be well positioned because Shadow doesn't exist. And uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. basically just use the main 60, change a little bit of the sideboard cards, and uh, got the magical deck for the tournament. So, what does the Invisible Stalker sideboard plan usually look like? Uh, I guess that comes in against the removal heavy decks, but is there like a specific package that, that goes in and out most of the time, or is it different depending on matchup? Um, yeah, so usually it's going to be replacing, like, your Iggerclaw Mirror, and it's going to mm-hmm. be, like, your extra four Blighted Agents, but it's going to be coming in mainly against, like, decks like Mardu, and mm-hmm. what, what, what you're basically aiming to do is make your pump spells into Galvanic Blast, and if you are fortunate enough to pair it with a Rancor, you basically create a true name nemesis in in modern so uh the the card that you would another card that you would bring in with the with the with uh invisible stalker is wild defiance which just makes your normal uh pump spells so much larger that you're able to get the job done with regular damage yeah it sounds like it's it's for like the you know the grindy matchups that are you know their primary game plan is going to be heavy spot removal kill all of your guys uh, you know, that general plan is typically very good against your Infect plan. But if you can just have, like, the Hexproof guy, yep. um, it's going to be a slower clock for sure. But generally, those matchups don't really present that fast of a clock. And the slower clock that you present is fine. And as long as it's resilient to their removal spells, then you should be able to close it out. Also, players don't preserve their life total because they think they're playing against Infect, which can't possibly kill you with regular damage. And that usually ends up killing them. And it's like the best card ever against that shadow because they take damage on their own and you basically end up needing like two pump spells to kill them with it. Yeah, for sure. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, it just gives you that inevitability that they can't 
do anything about it. And if they do, if like Jeskai does take the time to cast a Supreme Verdict against you, then you probably can just kill them with an Ink Moth Nexus or something. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Yeah, you just need to find, like, it's just the card that fits in between, like, all the removal spells, discard, and just a combination of things. We, we saw kind of, like, similar strategy out of, like, the Geists out of the sideboard from like Aaron Barrett's list. Yeah. But Zan's list, um, I actually like a lot better because Zan has such a higher density of pump spells in the main deck. Zan, how, how many pump spells in the main are you running? It's like 20, like six or something ridiculous. Yeah. I think it was either 26 yeah. or 27. Let me um, but like the traditional infect lists only run like 22, I would say maybe. So the fact that Zan's running a, a, I think a full four ground swells just makes his, it's actually twenty. It's twenty four. It's twenty four. Okay, but yeah, he's he's running the full four ground swells, which a lot of other lists are kind of like trimming on, and that that just like kind of really helps the plan out a lot when you just like have that higher density of of pump spells, and it just makes his general main deck so much faster, which I really like. So and, yeah. and so you cut the main deck spell pierces for that, I guess. Yeah, that's basically in concession to humans. I decided to play dismembers instead. Mm-hmm. Spell pierce does absolutely nothing against humans. So. <laughs> That's thanks to comments. So. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Um, so the tournament itself, uh, anything no- besides coming in first place? Any notable stories or anything interesting that happened uh, during yeah, that? Yeah, I actually played against a different matchup every single round except for the finals. Uh, I played against Drake. Modern, man. Yeah, I played against Drake twice. But besides that, every single round was uh, really interesting and... Uh, it was really tiresome because I felt like I was really having to think about my sideboard and trying to understand what my opponent was trying to do and how much they understood the matchup. So what all did you, I mean, you probably can't list any, everything, uh, but what all did you play against? Yeah, I'll try to list all of them. <laughs> I played against Storm, <laughs> Tron, Scapeshift, Mardu Pyromancer, Jeskai, Humans, Jund, Mono Black, Smallpox. Ooh, that's a yeah. spicy one. Any other like weird wacko decks that you played against that you can remember? Gorio's Vengeance. Ooh, okay. Yeah, the Gorio's Vengeance one was amazing. Uh, actually, I won the die roll and I killed him on turn two with Glistener Elf, Double Might, Mutagenic. Nice. And he went turn one Faithless Looting and discarded Gristlebrand and showed me the Gorio's Vengeance. So we both had each other <laughs> on turn two, but uh, since I won the die roll. I was able to get one of those rare games. And, well, uh, good thing you did, too, that because way. that turn two kill out of Infect is not common. Yeah, it's not. It was like my, I mean, I was running hot for sure. It was my second one of the turn. <laughs> but, um, nice. but uh, yeah, it was just, it was just it, it, that one really felt close. Um, <laughs> the turn but, two kill felt close. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he went, like, Faithless Looting, uh, Gristlebrand. I was like, oh, my God, what if he has it? He seems so confident. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I was like... <laughs> Not too bad. I was dead. like, ripped. <laughs> <laughs> I ripped the mutagenic growth. I was like, oh, my God, yes, I have it. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. So this might be a weird question, uh, and I don't know if, you, if you're going to know how to answer it, but I, I'm definitely interested in hearing, like, like you got there this time and that's awesome but like psychologically like how did you deal with bubbling so many tournaments in a row you know you're you're doing so well every single day two and then it just 
does you just don't get there. And even though you're doing great in every tournament, you're just coming up just short of where you want to be. Like, did that did that affect you in in any negative ways, or did it feel mostly good once you thought about how you were doing well in tournaments? And like, how did you how did you deal with that like psychologically? No, definitely, uh, I'm I'm human, and it definitely doesn't feel good. But I think the key was surrounding yourself with the right people. I mean, I have Team Lotus Box. The guys are always super positive and um, always looking on the bright side of things. Uh, like almost all the guys gave me a pep speech. Like Collins gave me one right before I went into top eight, like in the bathroom, which was just absolutely amazing. Something to do with lines. Um, <laughs> It was a good pep talk. Uh, we all repeat it, but it was a good pep talk. And my parents and my like my my siblings, they're just like super positive all the time, and that really really helps. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it definitely sucks, uh, like losing so many wins in a row. But um, it's about the people around you, and as long as yeah, as long as um you have positive people around you, you you can pretty much get through anything. So, I mean, you started Lotus Box originally, and I know it's kind of like gone through some uh, evolutions and stuff, but I'm definitely interested in hearing about like sort of what your goals are going forward. I know that you are trying to expand and turn it into something from here, but like as a team, like you guys are kind of crushing it lately uh, or have been for for a reasonable amount of time now. So I, I definitely... I, I think our listeners would be interested in hearing like what the plans are for the team going forward or at least what the you know ideal situation is. Yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, thank you for the compliments on crushing it. But um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I'll talk about like the reason why I started Lotus Box. So I started Lotus Box because I want to succeed in magic, not only as a player, but in the business sense. So my original plan was to create a monthly subscription uh, box, but I quickly realized that nobody wants to buy anything from someone uh, like that they don't know or haven't heard of, like basically a no name. So I decided to start Lotus Box because of that reason. I then assembled a bunch of guys that I thought had a lot of potential or had already proven themselves, like Dylan. And uh, we had like around 10 guys. We trimmed it down to five later on after when I saw who broke out. Obviously, Collins uh, decimated, Rossum, uh, Dylan was already doing well. I- I'd like to think I-, I was doing decent as well. Once we like assembled <laughs> our, our core squad, then I just kind of realized that uh, the monthly subscription plan wasn't going to work. So we kept the name, we kept going to tournaments, and basically I just wanted to dwell in the space until I figured out what I wanted our aim to be. And so, so a couple of things that have come up is coaching. A lot of our guys are doing coaching like Collins. Um, I've done a couple of session sessions. So we were focusing in, in, in that direction for a while as well as streaming. But I think that we could potentially be starting some sort of high roller tournament because we definitely see that we go to all these tournaments and sometimes you win the tournament, but oftentimes you don't. And even though your percentage of winning should be uh, should be paying you out according to like other games like poker, and they aren't, I, I think that it might be a, a good time to start like. Uh, another type of tournament that could pay out better 
So that's kind of where my head's at right now. But everything is in a trial phase, just trying to keep figuring out what we're doing and keep crushing the SCG tour as well as uh, inching it on GPs. So is that high roller tournament idea, would that be something more like a like a high entry fee, high payout sort of tournament, something like that? Or what's yeah. the... Uh, well, yeah. Uh, definitely high, what do you call it? Higher entry fee, higher uh, payout, as well as um, we kind of want to change the experience that we have at tournaments. You know, like like for example, like when you're at a casino, you know, someone comes around and gives you water uh, after the round. I we feel like we can have that top type of um, like serving your customer. Um, like this is this like this is the place that you want to be type of environment like in into magic i i think there's definitely like room to make our magic tournaments much more hospitable cool any ideas who you might be working with to make something like that happen or is it just you know starting the process right now it's just starting the process ben nikolich our our teammate um he's the one who really mentioned the idea to me and it it really stuck and when something sticks with me i I'd like to see what are the possibilities and try to try to get something started. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about payouts and stuff, you know, several times on this show, how they just don't, they, they definitely don't seem to mesh with other games, especially like what's been happening in, in esports and stuff lately. And, you know, we've kind of locked ourselves into this idea of the, like the, the giant tournament hall where you pay a certain amount of entry fee and very few people get prizes and yeah yeah i mean i i, I totally I, if you can do something to, to make that paradigm a different one i i i think we can probably dredge up some support for you no yeah that would be uh fantastic i mean like once we have a solid plan in p- place we'll be releasing a lot more information about it but yeah i think starting a tournament like this could really start a movement to bring more money into our game and um, to get more money to our to our pro players because um, magic is a is a is is not only a game it's a lifestyle it definitely means a lot to a lot of people and I think this could could solve a lot of problems cool yeah well best of luck I I definitely hope that works out I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you guys come up with for sure oh so I probably should have I guess I kind of went through these a little out of order. Um, one thing that I've definitely been wanting to ask you for a while uh, and haven't really gotten a chance to is um, when you are prepping for a tournament, um, one thing that I've noticed is that you are pretty good at being on kind of the right level for a tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like being on white-black when the tournament was full of blue-white control or being on, you know, a build of, of uh, Grixis Delver that you thought was good. Uh, which included Bomat Courier, which was definitely sweet. I, I'm wondering, just like if you have any particular ways that you approach like prep for a tournament that helps you like get on the right level before you end up, you know, actually shuffling up for your first round. Because I I'm usually pretty impressed with the decks that you show up with. Um, yeah, actually, it, this wasn't some. This was something I learned later on later on in my magic career was um like at this point i'm playing the like the highest number of tournaments i've played in my life probably one of the highest in terms of just players playing tournaments in general 
And um, one thing that I noticed is that if you are playing like the week one and the week two, basically you get to ride this wave of knowing what the metagame was like at each of those tournaments. Rather than seeing it online, oh, these are the deck lists that did well, you saw the whole process that happened. And so, like, for example, this past uh, season uh, when Dominaria came out, like, I started with Blue-White Approach, and Blue-White won that tournament. And then the next weekend, I was like, um like what are decks that do well against that i saw some deck lists that, that did well at the uh ptq noticed that black white like lost in the finals and i was like let me test black white and black white was well positioned against blue white so the next weekend when we played in the team open i gave the black white deck to uh the the rest of uh team lotus box and we were able to put in two people into top eight uh i think collins Collins's team and Rossum's team were able to make top eight of the open and I won the classic with black white. And then mm-hmm. the, the weekend after we were talking to uh, Matthew Folks and he was really high on red black and red black was well positioned against black white. So I didn't get to play in that standard GP because I was playing the legacy GP out in uh, Birmingham, uh, UK. Um, but um, like, I think, I, like I was like really close between black white and black red but basically I got to see the evolution the whole time and I feel like the more magic you're playing the more you're able to kind of ride this wave or predict what's happening on the rotating wheel of the meta game yeah I mean uh, yeah I've, I've definitely experienced the same thing when I you know when I'm in mode of just like play tournaments every weekend that I can uh, especially for standard, it's just so clear to see in standard what's just like happening in the metagame. Um, and then like kind of like similarly for modern, but modern is just kind of like it's a little bit of a different animal and it's it's harder to to metagame in modern, but you're still seeing like general trends on on what's happening. But particularly in standard, just like being at the tournament and seeing what like decks people are talking about, what the conversation looks like, it's just, you know, it's like invaluable information that that we kind of like, miss when we're just looking at things online so definitely yeah yeah i i think that's a huge thing and i'm, I'm really glad that you guys have pointed it out because that's that's not just something that applies to like having the right 75 for a weekend but it's like every time that i've been working on something if you kind of immerse yourself in it and like it's the thing that you're doing and you're spending like most of your time on it like that's a big difference than between that and like spending some of your spare time working on something if you're like trying to be as involved as possible and if that includes like talking with people about it who are interested in it and you know in in the case of magic like watching streams and playing as much magic as you can and, and that sort of thing like just like having your brain be like totally engaged in that space makes it in my experience makes a huge difference to what you're able to pull off with with anything that you're trying not just magic so uh, I definitely agree with everything that was just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys want to talk about some standard then? Kind of the new new hotness right now. We've got a new set out. Not quite as exciting as a, a full rotation, but we've got some new cards and looks like we've got some new decks, at least in the, the Comp League 5-0 lists and, and with like what I've been playing against when I've played online. So unless we've got anything else you guys want to talk about, then I think uh, we can start talking about the new format. 
Yeah, I'm down to talk about standard. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like Zan's been grinding pretty hard in standard lately. So he, he's probably going to have some some pretty useful uh, insights if he wants to share that. Yeah, so I recently started uh, jamming some standard, and I think there were there was a five O list from the Moto Leagues of a, a catcher's monument, uh, a mono white a catcher monument deck. Uh, so I decided to take that deck, and uh, I've been playing around with it. I'm in my second league with it. I 4-1 the first one. I'm 3-0 in the second one. But um, it, ha- it got a lot of uh, really cool tools, like uh, Militia Bugler, uh, which is going to be making an impact in Modern, as uh, hopefully as well in Standard, if, uh, if I can figure out this shell. But uh, Mentor of the Meek, Militia Bugler are just absolutely insane. Militia Bugler, for those of you guys that don't know is a two three for three two colorless and a white it searches for a creature that has two or less power so it hits angel of invention knight of grace remorseful cleric and mentor and uh some cool things you can do with the with that card is you can bounce it with aviary mechanic which is a two two when it enters the battlefield uh, you can bounce a permanent back to your hand so yeah, I've been digging this deck. And I'm assuming that you have uh, cut the the sun cleansers <laughs> oh, from your list. Yeah, sun cleanser is uh, completely garbage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that card is just not good. Maybe if Teamer Energy was still a thing, that card would be useful. They should have probably printed it uh, when um, that whole Ulamog. What was that deck called again? Aetherworks Marvel. Yeah, Aetherworks Marvel stuff was going on. It would have been so much more relevant then. But right now, it literally does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you mean a, a two-mana 1-4 vanilla isn't constructed playable? Is that what you're saying to me? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, like, some of the... The obvious concerns about a deck like this are that, you know, Chain Whirler is pretty good against you, a Braid is pretty good against you, and I guess that you don't necessarily put on that fast of a clock for a go-wide creature deck, but I guess you're not really having that too many of those problems right now. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so basically the deck has uh, just built-in resilience with uh, with Militia Bugler and Mechanics. So basically, the game plays out that in a way that you make them have to have Chain Whirler pretty much every turn of the game. And if you are able to have a Catcher's Monument that sticks around, you make cards like Hazret seem like a joke because you're making so many chump blockers. And um, mm-hmm. you have uh, some copies of Sunscorch Champion. I'm playing two. I was playing four before until I decided to add the Fairgrounds Wardens in, into the main as well, which the combination of gaining life um, and having a blocker for for a long time is just really, really helpful. And then you just finish the game off with Angel of Invention, which will buff all your guys and give you additional chump blockers even when you don't have a Catcher's Monument. So the resiliency of this deck, at, on paper it looks like it would just fold to chain whirler and a braid but that's just not how it plays out yeah i definitely remember the old the pre-rotation lists that you know the deck kind of disappeared when you didn't have access to to bygone bishop anymore because that was how you even if they wrathed you then you just like crack four clues and then play a bunch of creatures again um so i guess 
the mentor of the meek is the real deal here like doing the same kind of thing yep definitely yeah mentor of the meek it does it triggers for not uh, for token creatures as well so for example let's say you mm-hmm. play a mentor uh, a mentor of meek into a, a knight of grace you can pay two additional mana to draw two cards to just you just play three mana for two bodies and two cards which is just an incredible rate yeah uh, one thing I do want to mention is I'm actually more s- scared of the the new black chain whirler, the horse, than I'm of chain whirler mm-hmm. itself because there's a text on that card that says it can't be blocked by white creatures, <laughs> which is which is <laughs> which can, which can be slightly annoying because you have all of these chump blockers, but the only chump blockers that can actually block it are the tokens that you make with Angel of Invention. <laughs> Yeah, a uh, so a phantom warrior attached to like a almost plague wind is pretty good, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty. Good. Um, yeah, that's definitely the experience that I've had with older builds of the deck is that you can get a lot of value, but it takes the deck a little while to turn around and start killing your opponent. So like repeatable evasive sources of damage are the deck's biggest weakness. Yeah, like out of teamer, kind of the only things you cared about were like Glorybringer, uh, Sky Sovereign is really good against this kind of deck, that sort of thing. Yeah. So you know if you're trying to beat this deck, I guess that's that's where you look is like repeatable evasive sources of damage that that chump blockers don't do very much against. Cards like like Hazard and Bristling Hydra are not not where you want to be. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And that's what I think if you if you're choosing to play this deck, um, that's what your sideboard should consist of of cards that make those cards like unplayable. Like Lyra is pretty good against mm-hmm. Glorybringer. And a card like Ixalan's Binding in a deck where everything is a, a, like close to a four of or three of in in like red it can be so impactful. Like, for example, I was playing against Jabberwocky, uh, and he was playing red-black. He had a hazard on the field, yet I Ixalan was binding the Goblin Chain Whirler. And it, it was just a completely different game. He just felt like it, it, the game was just over. He just had a hazard, and he was just flinging two at me, but I just got so wide that he couldn't do anything about it. And how has do you do you still have uh, Dust to Dawn in the main deck? How is that card? Oh playing? yeah, I, I do have three Dust to Dawn. I've actually not been too impressed with the card. We don't have a deck yeah. deck like Teamer Energy running around where it's just like right. That was the whole bad. reason for it in the the old versions of it was was to kill Glory Bringers and Bristling Hydras. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm strongly considering moving the Dust to Dawns to the side. Of course, it has like really amazing matchups like. Your matchup against zombies is already re- like a buy because you have a card called Knight of Grace, and that card is really good <laughs> against that deck. Uh, I did set up something really cool with Knight of Grace. So my, the, I knew the only way they could get rid of my Knight of Grace was with Ifner Deadlands, and when I was playing Sun Cleanser, I used the Sun Cleanser to protect my Knight of Grace. That was the only cool oh, thing cool. I could do with that card because um, <laughs> you can prevent it from getting counters. But uh, Dust Hadon. <laughs> Dust to Dawn. Uh, I'll probably move it to the side because it's good against zombies and it's good against like the the green stompy decks. But those decks aren't mm-hmm. much of the metagame anyway. So probably move it to the side and bring put cards like Cast Out into the main because you don't have any one drops and Cast Out could be a, a virtual one drop as in we can cycle it. 
Yeah, there really aren't any playable actual one mana creatures for this deck. Have not having Thraven Inspector is was actually like the main reason that I never considered playing this deck after rotation. Yeah, I missed that card so much. But I'm telling you guys, you should really, really try it out. The card that really pushed this deck over the top is Militia Bugler. I play 28 creatures, so you have a 90% chance of hitting when you play Bugler. It's just it's such a good rate you know like i like to think of this card like in between reflector mage and collected company in the sense that it has that two three body which is really just an absurd thing why does this creature have vigilance why does it only cost one white and two colorless and it looks at the top four and doesn't get a specific creature type but any creature type so it can get a five drop to a two drop you know like angel of invention to a knight of grace so Definitely try it out. Word. Yeah, sounds good. And this mana base can't be beat. 17 planes, a bunch of Chef of Dunes, just all white mana all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely a big fan of that. No, definitely. This deck could take another angle. Um, it could splash the blue if we felt like the control matchup wasn't good, just for like negate. Uh, I can't remember the name of the 2-2 the two -two flyer that gains you two life. Cloud Blazer. Yeah, Cloud Blazer. We could uh, potentially... And... Um, Metallic Rebuke is also an option because um, you can tap the, the monument to cast tap it. Some yeah, I, do love that. I do love Metallic Rebuke. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I've been mostly playing in standard uh, kind of completely the opposite deck of this. Um, I've been playing Grixis Midrange, which I have mostly despised uh, the blue-black mid-range decks in standard because uh, every game one you just feel like you're losing um, and then you try to fix your matchup post-board against basically every deck in the format um, and that's mostly felt pretty awful to me but I have been pretty happy with the addition of Nicole Bolas the Ravager to the deck it just like lets you play a much more assertive game I, I don't know I, I just have been really really impressed with the card so far and i am looking forward to experimenting with it going forward i played a list similar to so if you look on the comp league results uh thought x riots grixis virtuoso midrange but i cut the whirler virtuosos because they are terrible in standard right now um most of the lists most of the decks that i've been playing against have been either you know midrange removal heavy decks or zombies like that's that's a huge portion of the online metagame right now and virtuoso just does not block zombies very well because their guys are way too big and it just doesn't have enough effect against the Vraska's contempt sort of decks so i actually have been running a couple of sweltering suns and an additional arguals bloodfast in the deck um, and i've been pretty happy with the deck so far i mean it's still a very like medium heavy removal sort of deck but you know you got a lot of game post board against control decks because you have all these duresses and negates uh game ones i i really like the red removal right now if the zombie decks are going to be as heavily played and i think the zombie decks are real um and they're pretty heavily played online right now so i like having access to magnus bray and good two mana removal spells so i definitely would encourage people to try out these you know some sort of nicole bolus the ravager deck it's just been a, a, a really good card so far yeah i i would say that the nickel bolus card has really pushed that deck and i agree that 
Uh, I don't think Whirler is that well positioned. Definitely the hardest card for me to deal with in the Grixis deck. I, I could care less about Scarab God or pretty much anything else. Uh, the Nicol Bolas is really scary. Like, I, if, if there's a target that I would meddling mage, uh, it would be that card. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't know if your experience reflects mine so far, but I've seen a lot fewer chain whirlers uh, online than than I have in the past. And it might just be people playing with new toys, but I really feel like, you know, like I, I've barely been siding out my uh, Glintsleaf Siphoners at all just because I have not been playing against decks that, you know, have a three mana, three, three first strike Flametone Kabu against them. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I agree that um, uh, Chain Whirler decks have seen a, a huge downtick, but I think that basically people really don't want it to be a Chain Whirler format, and um, I think that after week one, we will get like some de- definition into this, you know, random metagame but uh, i still think that the chain whirler decks are the best deck and that this is just the magic of week one this this is my favorite time for deck building and to play a tournament because it's just so much hope that chain whirler will not die yeah for sure for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, i yeah and i think especially once you had to do a paper tournament this weekend to expect it to not be somewhere around like 30% chain whirler decks i think would probably be a mistake yeah i agree but there are several cool non chain whirler decks that have popped up on you know like on this complete list and uh just that i've seen around um you know monument deck the zombie deck is definitely pretty real i mean at the end of the day it's still just like a kind of bulky creature deck but it's got those like card advantagey creatures it's a scrap heap scrounger deck so it's definitely got a lot of play to it there's this insane sifter worm deck yeah with just like all of the uh aftermath cards so you gain a billion life <laughs> off of your sifter worms i don't know this this deck is clearly amazing i don't know if any, if either of you guys have gotten to play with this four hour of devastation four hour of promise deck yet but no, every time I look at it, I'm just like, I can't do this to myself. I don't know, man. I'm a I'm a fan of Hour Promise. I, I'll, uh, you know, uh, when I first saw that, I was like, all right, if I'm if I'm jamming some stuff for standard, I, this is definitely on the docket for things I want to try out. I think it was like a, it might have been like a Zach yeah. Elsick brew initially or something like that, uh, and then it like had some success. Hmm. Yeah, he made some posts about it. Uh, well, it. He mentioned it in Atlanta. Okay. And it top aided nationals, right? Yep. So no, no, it, you know, it, it, got no, a it, got, it got thirteenth or something, right? It, 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 it didn't oh, okay, top, top 16, sixteen nationals yeah. then. But it made a deep run for oh, okay. a deck that didn't exist until nationals, basically. Yeah, I mean, I do like the positioning of Hour of Devastation. Insane against the zombies decks. Pretty good against the red decks because it kills Hazarets and Chandras. Um, like the only thing it doesn't Excellent get against the red decks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's it's probably the best sweeper in the format right now, uh, just because like most of the creature decks have at least one planeswalker in them. The zombies decks have have the new Liliana. Uh, the red decks obviously have Chandra, uh, so it, it definitely does a lot of work there. So I can see this deck being some like there's I don't think that this is the seventy five that you want to be playing, but there are reasons that the deck is winning. 
Um, and I think one of those is Hour of Devastation. Hour of De- Devastation did does damage to all planeswalkers, right? Or do you have yeah, like an exception? Yeah, non non bolus planeswalkers. Okay, I was I was wondering. Uh, yeah, I was oh, wondering really? if it worked with uh, the four mana nickel bolus as a creature. Oh yeah, no, it kills it kills the creature. No. But if you've managed to flip it, it doesn't do anything. Well, if you managed to flip it, you already won. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the idea. That, but, that would be yeah. So I mean, broken. like this this kind of deck definitely seems like it might have trouble against Bolus. The card just doesn't have a lot. Like you can just kind of sandbag it and flip it against a ramp deck like this. No, um, they don't have a lot of ways to stop that from happening. But yeah, yeah. Nickel Bolus really reminds me of uh, Nissa Basswoods here, the one that um, came into play and looked for a land. And when you hit seven lands, it would flip into a decent planeswalker. But um, uh, the mana, obviously, the mana restriction is harder. But yeah, mm-hmm. also the four-four body with flying is just so ridiculous. I just, it's such a cool card. Yeah, and once once Chandra is no longer in the format to kind of be a, you know, you play Bolas, you get your value out of it, then they play Chandra, they kill it and still have a Chandra in play. Like, they're coming out on top in that exchange. But once the format doesn't have that option available and the best they can do is, like, Vraska's Contempted or something, which has been a lot of the games that I've played is their only option is to untap and use a removal spell on it, and you're in really good shape after that happens most of the time. Yeah, being... uh come into play discard a card is just ridiculous on that body that's just like it should have been a four three you know like you should be able to upgrade it but you can't right right like i i actually have been like considering cutting an abrade for an extra harness lightning just so i have another way of killing because i've played against a lot of boluses so far and that may be just because it's the new the new hotness but i have wanted more like efficient answers to it even if it like i'm going down a card but i'm also going to resolve my own bolus but i want to be able to like kill your you went first i want to be able to kill yours at the end of your turn and untap and play my bolus yeah so like an extra harness lightning would help there but obviously much worse than if i'm playing against a monument or gift or something like that a braid is just too good to to cut many of them. Oh, definitely. I mean, the card is a lot harder than it looks to kill, especially because it doesn't even die to Glorybringer. It's a dragon. Mm-hmm. Glorybringer can't exert on it. Right. Yeah. That dragon type. Yeah. And um, yeah, Chandra Chandra's been in the side of most red decks anyways, instead of the main. So who knows? Maybe Nicol Bolas will come out on top week one of a SCG. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's right to to move some of those Chandras to the main deck um, to hedge a little bit. Actually, one thing that I've been thinking about is if Bolas is as heavily played as, you know, it kind of looks like he might be, the sideboard card that is really sweet against it is a Johnny's Last Stand, which is from M19, and it's a four-mana enchantment that if you, like, when it's in play, if one of your creatures dies, you sacrifice it and get a 4-4 flyer, but if you discard it, then you get a 4-4 flyer. And that's really that's really good against Bolas. Shuts down that comes into playability, gives you a card to trade with it. Um, and you don't have to spend the mana. So that may, depending on how things play out, that might actually be a reasonable sideboard card against this thing. Ooh, that, that's really interesting. I, I didn't even think about it. It's like obstinate bailout in standard. 
Yeah, but the only reason I realized it is because I had a, a sealed deck with Bolas in it, and I played a Bolas, and then the next turn my opponent untapped and typed dot 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 into chat and then cast his Ajani's Last Stand. Oh. So I definitely got away with, with murder there. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But yeah, so lots of cool stuff happening. I mean, the decks that I am most excited about right now are... I mean, maybe the right decision is just to play the best black-red 75 that you can. Like, being aware of the presence of Bolas, being aware of the presence of, like, monument decks and, and how to attack those. But if you're not trying to do that, the decks that I'm most excited about right now are, you know, like a Bolas-based mid-range deck, because it just gives the deck a lot of tools to threaten control decks early on, so you're not just sitting there both playing lands and their cards are more powerful than yours, you're also like hitting them for four, which is nice, uh, and, and it just does a lot of things for the deck. So Bolas-based mid-range decks, um, Monument deck is definitely sweet, and Zombies I have been reasonably impressed with. Like Liliana's okay to good in it, and you know, stuff like Death Baron just makes... A bunch of times my opponent has had a couple of mopey creatures out, and then they untap and play a Death Baron, and I just realized, like, all of my blocks are terrible, and there's no way to not take 8 damage this turn, and the deck is, you <laughs> yeah. know, just has a, a surprising ability to do, like, powerful creature things. No, that, that, that sounds awesome. For sure. And and the resiliency of it is is not to be underestimated. Like, um, you know, it, it feels like it's less resilient than... Uh, the old zombies list, and I'm sure it is, but it still has mm -hmm. a lot of like recursive threats and like the new two mana three two. You can just like have a mana sink of three mana of just like make two two zombies, which is really strong. So, yep. and we still have Liliana's yep. mastery. That card is scary. It is. It's so good, especially you know if you're going to be playing against a lot of these one for one removal decks, like slamming down Liliana's mastery. Even if they have the removal spells for both of the zombies, you still have an unkillable lord in play that makes every card in your deck so much better. Yeah, uh, yeah. Liliana's ma like if you are playing this deck, you need to fit four Liliana's masteries into it. it like if you can't, yeah. then don't play the deck. It's it's just too good. But yeah, the masteries are definitely one of the reasons to play zombies. I'm 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 sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's always the card that I'm like most scared like all of my plays on like turns two through four are like in anticipation of what happens if they untap on turn five and slam mastery yeah uh, it's it's definitely like the scariest thing that they can do no definitely i've been fortunate enough to dust it on after they do that but not many other decks have answers to mm. that. yeah i mean that's one of the reasons why I, I mean that's the main reason why i subbed in sweltering sun's into the deck because a lot of times that like one for one removal game you just come up short and to be able to sweep up a bunch of guys at once i was just saying that whirler it seems terrible yeah yeah whirler, whirler is not where i want to be right now um sweltering suns is cool though because your like your bolus survives it so that's that's something that i've set up a couple of times is like sweltering suns to kill all your stuff keep swinging in with bolus and and have like a good clock going so i've been reasonably happy with that you know, like I said, I've, I've hated these decks so far in Standard, but the dimension that turn four play 4-4 four, four Flying Ravenous Rats is, um, it's a big dimension. Yeah, I really wish I was playing Standard this weekend. <laughs> oh yeah, and White Black Knights is also pretty decent. Uh, Ajani is a, a, a huge addition to the White Black decks and does a lot more work 
Yeah, uh, the car. I I've really been not happy with Ajani. Yeah, really. Okay, tell me about I that. Two in my sideboard, and I ultimated it, and all it does is make three li- lifelink cats at only your <laughs> end stuff. That doesn't do anything. That's like a worse <laughs> ultimate than uh, Liliana Last Hope, which costs three mana. I I think it's performing a different and worse role in your deck than it is in these in the knights, knights decks with history of been no definitely like i was i was playing against grixis and they just built a wall of aetherborns and i put kept putting plus one plus one counters on my knight of graces but i couldn't get through three uh aetherborns and a scarab god but he couldn't reanimate anything because i had a sorcerer spyglass so it's like this weird stalemate game which i thought i would eventually be able to get through but just never did, and Ajani had no relevant abilities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do feel like it probably plays out a little differently in the like actual knights decks with history of Benalia that are you know trying to you know are built to be attacking yeah. pretty early and and hitting them as hard as you can really early on. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I feel about it is we have another card that doesn't have any type of mana restriction called Karn. And it mm-hmm. just, if I if I have a Karn that sticks through three turns, I have so much overwhelming direct card advantage. Whereas a Johnny is just going to be plusing and putting counters. And that's virtual card advantage. And in a format where we have like cards like Fatal Push and Harness Lightning that don't really care about those counters too much... Uh, I like Ajani just doesn't seem that great. Also, we don't have like any two drop besides knights that are just like so overwhelming in car- like card advantage. Like we have Glenskeep uh, Siphoner, but you know a lot of times those cards are exiled. Yeah. Uh, because of cards like Magma Spray or whatever. So yeah, Ajani just not doing it for me. I I I rate it overrated. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean the the lists that I've seen have been running like like Freebooter as like the two drops nine through twelve, which I think is okay. I don't know. I I think like you know Karn sort of it, like it can sort of switch roles, especially if you do have artifacts in your deck. If you don't have artifacts in your deck, then it kind of is locked into that you know card drawing play pattern. And a Johnny might give you a dimension if you really if you are trying to beat down and you you your curve is like knight history of Benalia a Johnny uh, like I think that's a solid goal curve to have and that's a pretty scary start that that these decks are able no to present. Uh, yeah no definitely but basically what I what I'm thinking about when you, when you just said that is that is knight into history just not enough right right like is that Johnny not overkill like I know like having sometimes having these rules of a planeswalker needs to be able to protect itself it needs needs to have a lot less ifs like if scenarios in order for it to be good mm-hmm. you know like a johnny has needs to have a creature been played before it a creature must not must not have must not have been exiled but have died yeah. like those are so many ifs before you play that a johnny that it makes me doubt the card a lot as uh, as far as karn goes you play it on an empty board state or a full board state it's still a six loyalty planeswalker as well as as well as protect protect it yeah 
Yeah, that's legit. I mean, especially against something like blue-white control, you know, they're not putting your creatures in, in your graveyard except for with, like, Essence Scatter. So you could easily play in a Johnny and just have no real options with it. So, um, yeah, I definitely see what you mean. But yeah, I mean, Standard is, you know, Dominaria and, and like, Kaladesh are sort of dominating, have dominated Standard, and it's it's not super likely that in a couple of weeks we have just a whole bunch of new decks from M19, but some of this stuff definitely has promise. So there's, you know, uh, some of it is definitely, like you said, people who just want so badly for this not to be a Chain Whirler format, but there's some yeah. potential here for, for new interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, I have high hopes. Uh, my initial reaction to, like, the spoilers of M19 was that, ugh, this doesn't look like it's going to impact anything at all. But it honestly, mm-hmm. I like, you know, after seeing the kind of, you know, how things are shaping up initially, it, it seems like it's going to be uh, working out pretty well. So I, I got high hopes for yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really crossing my fingers. It doesn't end up that way. But um, yeah. But yeah, Goblin, Goblin Chain Whirler is a, a, a hell of a card. And also, I've also seen Nicol Bolas goblin chain where they're dead <laughs> right yeah so anything is okay but also yeah i have that open in my tab right now <laughs> the 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 clyde the glide drexler deck and i was just about to say like as our like final thing is do not play this mono red deck splashing nickel oh, bolus and scarab god <laughs> this deck is not it's not good like uh, why why would you play Nicol Bolas on turn four in this deck instead of Hazaret or instead of extra Chandra's? Like that makes no sense to me. Like this you don't want a big ravenous rats in this deck. You want to kill your opponent. Like you're not playing an attrition you have carry Zev and Scrap Heap Scrounger. And like, the Scarab God. Wait a minute, the Scarab God? <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is literally mono red splashing scarab god and Nicole Bolas, and I don't think either of them like 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 this. This reminds me like yes, technically you can do this with your lands, but you know like like Teamer could splash scarab god, and then mo- you just lose to the Teamer decks that were running four glory bringers and ways to like like steal scarab god because like their mana was slightly better and they could kill you faster. Like, yeah. I think that's what you're doing here, is you're just losing to the Glorybringer decks. So, because you have four Canyon Sloths and a Fetid Pools and just, and like, Ether Hubs and stuff in your, your Mono Red deck. Like, that, that's, I'm not into this at all. Some people just like to dream. Some people just like to dream. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say, like, don't let your dreams be memes, but... You know, <laughs> I just feel like you know. Did you do it? Yes. What did it cost? Yes. Everything. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, there there is no more like enemy of the people deck than the deck with <laughs> Chain Whirler, Scarab God, and Nicole Bolas the Ravager in it. So. <laughs> yeah, Look, man. Um, wanna, this deck. Wanna, yeah, for sure. We're we're never gonna see this deck again. Like that's my like promise to you. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. It is amazing. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Here I was. I was trying to convince me. 
<laughs> no, that's Chris not that's not what we do here, Zan. We try to help. We try to help our audience. Chris had other plans. No, 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 no. I wasn't doing it in benefit for myself. I was doing it in um, just like just in spirit of week one. Sure, anything is possible. Yeah, yeah. It's no. I've seen I get awesome that. things happen. Yeah, 100%. yeah, exactly. I would love to see that deck on camera. That would just be amazing. That would make my day. But the greatest thing to me is that because you can't afford to run the other basics in your deck, like you could get your early guys settled the wreckage, and you could still have like a Nicole Bolas and a Scarab God in your hand that you can't cast. <laughs> that you can't cast. Oh yeah, man, yeah. Cast. That's just so fun. perfect. Uh, That's what I want out of my deck building. That's just good deck building right there. That's just good deck building yeah. for sure. That's just good deck building. Oh, the okay. The cherry on top is Rossum <laughs> lost to him. Oh, totally. During testing, yeah. Like if the mana just works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah his mana just worked yeah. perfectly. He just pummeled Rossum. <laughs> I mean, the mana isn't like like it's actually not insane. Like the spells are pretty castable in this deck. The, the awkward thing is just that, like, sometimes some of your lands are going to come into play tapped at, like, really awful times. Like, you've got a bunch of Spire Buff Canals in a deck that really wants to cast your Glory Bringer as soon as you hit five mana. That sort of thing. So, you know, you've yeah. got, like... I mean, he, he did make Chain Whirler into Nicol Bolas happen. Yep, so yep. That was... That, I was just... I was like, wow. <laughs> I, the it. cards are all really good. Like, that's... That, that's not the part I disagree with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. The cards are obviously fantastic. We had Vile in this format, that, that might be... I just bet. love the, uh, the yeah, two totally. Soulscar Mages. That's just like... Yeah, dude, we're still trying to beat down and, uh, and go under people. <laughs> gotta believe. And the one Banefire, just like... <laughs> this game's gonna probably go pretty long, so, uh, you know, we'll just throw Banefire in here. It'll be great. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But, He's basically saying that uh, if if nothing else works and I just continue to draw uh, lands, I can't yeah, just cast any spells. It'll be fine. I'm just gonna cast. It. Yeah, we got him down to seven, so <laughs> it's it's good. Yeah, I I played against this deck and I played Nicole Bolas and he untapped and cast Banefire to kill my Nicole Bolas. So then I cast another Nicole Bolas right. and I won easily. That's two so. two for ones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, one of the best plays in this deck is probably uh, playing a Nicol Bolas and, and to trade against his Nicol Bolas because you're more likely to be able to cast yeah. it. Wow. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's standard. Standard is, you know, week one standard is always sweet. This one has some promise of staying sweet, you know, fingers crossed. I guess unless anybody has anything specific to add, we can move on to our Patreon question of the week. Yep, I'm um, so Lee asked us uh, last week, and we kind of held it over to this week, just a super simple question that I think has a, a really a lot of room to talk about, which is just, how do you efficiently learn new decks You know that you're picking up for a tournament? And this is something that I struggle with a lot, and you guys you know, tend to switch and play what you think is going to be best positioned for any given weekend, um, and so I'm definitely you know, curious to hear, you know, if you have any particular ways of learning, you know, decks that you might just never have played before. How do you, how do you pick them up and, and play them at a high level? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot to this question. I think that one of the benefits that we get as people who tend to switch decks a lot is that we have a pretty wide range on kind of like general knowledge of like overarching archetypes, right? 
So like I've played a lot of aggro decks. I've played a lot of combo decks. I've played a lot of you know control decks or whatever. So like my general knowledge of like how general strategies play out is pretty wide, and I think that that kind of gives me uh, it helps me out when I'm picking up a deck for the first time, right? Because it's still magic, right? So you're still you know you still can apply your your really basic fundamental understandings of like how you expect things to play out. So, you know, typically when I pick up a deck for the first time, what I do is I like run it through a league on Magic Online just to kind of try to get a feel for how it plays out. But I think that one of the things that you really, really need to focus on, and one of the things that I tend to focus on a lot, and even more so when I'm playing a deck for the first time, is that like really pay attention to each like minuscule decision-making process like as you're going like you know what are the consequences of playing this land over this other land or you know what are the consequences of like playing this card over this card and just like using your understanding of your opponent's deck and like how how the how you expect their game plan to play out and the context of like what you have in your hand and how you want that to line up against what your opponent's going to do to like you know inform all of these decisions just be really really critical in like thinking about the decisions that you make and how they're going to impact things moving forward and everything. And like, if you just like take that really core philosophy of like learning how to play magic and apply that to whatever new deck you're, you're playing with, it's going to help you a lot to better understand kind of like the game plans that you, you, this new deck has to offer and, and a lot of things like that. But I think like another big part of it is that if you have the ability to, talk to somebody who is an expert with the deck it does so so much for your game than just trying to figure things out on your own uh if you have the ability to just like you know talk to somebody who you know has experience with the deck and that just could be like you know you're picking up tron for the first time and your local shop has a you know a tron guy just you know talk to him and and you know ask him questions about things that you're wondering about you know, about like mulligans or about like sequencing or about like what he's worried about in particular matchups. Um, you know, people who've played the deck before are going to give you the, the most insight into kind of what you can expect moving forward, like when you're trying to play a, play a new archetype. So those are generally the things that I focus on um, when I'm picking up a new deck is just like really trying to critically analyze, um, you know, each very m like minor decision to be made when I'm playing a game. And just kind of like think about the consequences of, you know, how that's going to affect my game plan and what I expect my game plans to be. And the, like the overall game plans kind of come from the general just like magic knowledge, I guess you could say. And that's like really important mm -hmm. to have that kind of like base of like general magic knowledge of like how the games are going to play out and everything. But, you know, just kind of like applying your, your basic theories to like kind of a new environment, I think is really uh, like pretty crucial part of it all. But I am interested, sure. you know, Zan is another player who plays, uh, I know, a lot of, like, new strategies, particularly with Standard. He's always brewing and stuff, so I'm interested to see if he has any other thoughts on, on this. Yeah, so when I actually first met Collins, I was, like, basically only a Standard player, and my range was kind of small. But since then, I was able to expand my range. I feel like a lot of times people just box themselves into, I'm only an aggro player, you know, and that ends up like really hurting them in a lot of tournaments because maybe the control deck 
is really good or the mid-range deck is really good. But basically, um, I, I, I had boxed myself in, but when I started to get more serious about Magic, I took it upon myself to spend the whole season playing uh, playing like every all, all different types of formats as well as all different types of decks, from combo to control to everything. Once I... I, I the way I like felt like I was good in all of those... I now have a 12-3 in every format except for Team Limited. <laughs> and, um, and uh, like, I did it with different decks. You know, I, I've done it with Control. I've done it with Combo. I've done it with everything. And basically, now what I'm able to do is brew whatever with whatever card I want in whatever shell, and I'm pretty easily able to play it. But Collins has definitely touched on some really important points. If you want to learn a new strategy, talk to somebody. Do a Google Hangout. That's what we do on Team Lotus Box. Collins knows how to play humans. I don't, right? Well, I didn't. So, like, you know, we would get in Hangouts. We'd be making plays. Collins would be like, Zan, why did you make this play? Uh, this is better, or this is probably better. Try to get get in my head to understand that. And when, when someone is there who has experience with it, you're able to just find more lines and uh, just keep getting better that way. So, like, it sounds like that has been really important for, for both of you is having, you know, I mean, specifically Team Lotus Box, but also people to tell you when you are screwing up and, and like, challenging your assumptions. Like, that that seems, like, very necessary, maybe, or, or just important, or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as Magic players, and uh, this is mostly an individual sport, until recently we started getting teams, you, you were kind of in your head all the time you know and uh, just being able to verify uh, a lot of your plays with like two or three other minds it just makes you so much better so much faster it's like being in like um do you guys watch dragon ball z i my uh nerd cred is gonna get called into question a little bit here but that was <laughs> that uh, basically was one that basically was never... <laughs> uh like you you like basically uh you like you go into this like when you're in a hangout i like to imagine that we're like in this chamber of like just learning everything so much faster and people questioning everything right they're just like oh why do you have this card in your sideboard what do you even bring in and against and you're just like on the spot you're like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then you're like then you go back to your go back to your head and you're like all alone you're like oh like people ask me these questions and i couldn't even answer it how do i fix that and so uh you fix it you bring it back and everybody's like oh so what's why'd you do this you know like uh, when people are asking questions for why you're doing what you're doing it just makes you so much better so much faster and i mean everybody on lotus box is just so great like like everybody has gives you valuable input you know nobody's ever doing it just to to make you feel bad you know it's just like all positive criticism so yeah again surrounding yourself with the right people whether it's magic or real life uh really really helps in uh your deck building and what decks yeah. you end up choosing to play yeah definitely really can't uh understate the the importance of you know talking to other people and like bouncing ideas off of other people it's like really really important just to kind of like you know hear other people's thoughts on things that you on your own might likely never consider it's it's really big 
And if you, you know, if you're lucky enough to have, you know, those people in your life to just like, you know, play magic with, then great. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to plug a little bit here, but I also think, you know, it's like genuinely a good idea is that, you know, if you, if you want, if you don't like have anybody like locally or whatever, or, you know, like that, you know, a, a lot of the Lotus Box guys, we do coaching. So if you want to talk to us, you can sign up for coaching with us and, and we can have this kind of like, you know, healthy conversation about, you know, what's going on through your head with you as well. And I think that that's, you know, it's just like a really huge resource that, that I think that more people should, um, uh, uh, look into yeah. if you haven't already. No, definitely. It's like, it's like hiring a gym trainer just so you can learn how to do the workouts. And when, right. once, yeah. once you learn the workouts, then, uh, then you'll be able to learn proficiently on your own. Yeah. I mean, like, this is something that I definitely struggle with a lot. And a lot of times it ends up, you know, I, I'll pick up a deck and I'll start to learn things about it and it'll come time for the tournament. And I will either play that new deck that I feel like, all right, I'm like learning how I've learned a reasonable amount of how to play it. I feel okay sideboarding, but I don't have that like core understanding like down down to the t but i think the deck is better positioned or i could play this deck that i just have a lot of experience with and feel really comfortable and like never need to look at a sideboard guide because i know exactly what i want to do in every matchup and that sort of thing and i i definitely feel like like i'm missing a little something when it comes to picking up a new deck um and even with decks that you know like i've played a lot of mono red decks over the years but they're all different in subtle ways and like every format is different and needs to be attacked in different ways. You know, like the first mono red decks that I played, there were no planeswalkers in magic. You didn't have planeswalkers and your <laughs> opponent didn't have planeswalkers. And so like the yeah. presence of those in both of your decks fundamentally changes some of the decision making and heuristics that you, you need to use. And obviously like you learn those things as time goes on and, and formats change and stuff. But, you know, that's just one of the examples of how, like, um, even though I've played decks very similar to any given aggro deck in the past, you know, there are new things that you need to pick up. And I, I feel like I'm not quite there in figuring out a way to, you know, even if like a week before the tournament, I'm like, I think this is the deck I'm going to play. Now let's get really good at it. And a lot of times I'll get to the day of the tournament and I'll think, boy, I played a fair amount of this deck. And I just didn't quite get there yet, did I? And I've, I've gotten a little better at it. I'm doing things like making sure to record my results and my thoughts after matches and then going back and, and re-watching some of my replays. And that does help. But I still, a lot of times I'll go to a tournament and feel like, you know, I'll, I'll play the first several rounds and I'll have run into situations where I'm not confident that, you know, maybe I didn't run into those situations before. So maybe my decisions weren't the right decisions. And so this is definitely something that I'm, I'm working on. So um, good to hear some, some information on how to help with that. I'm going to try to, you know, yeah, something, yeah, something about, about what you just said. Um, yeah, sometimes some of my favorite tournaments have been that I know that this deck is well positioned. But, uh, like, I've played with it a decent amount, but not enough to think I can play the deck to 100%. Those have been some of my favorite tournaments because you just kind of, like, figure it out as you go and just trust that you made the right decision in the deck mm -hmm. choice. Like, I, I, like for example, uh, one deck 
that just comes to mind that was the biggest payoff was Collins's human human stack. He he was playing against me in the room the night before, and he just played the deck for like three days, and it had a really hard element to it in the sense that it had meddling mage, which requires you to know a lot of different matchups, but. I'm sure that was one of his most memorable tournaments. And, um, like, sometimes it's just worth it to just figure it out as you go. And, yeah, it's, like, something I've learned, I've been, like, trying to think less about is what the result is going to be. Like, I'd made this decision that this deck is, like, this deck is well-positioned. Now I'm I'm just going to follow through with it and not think about that it might be, like, the best like the best thing hmm. that I might not play it the best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that definitely can be kind of a tough calculus. Like how much percentage am I like, what's, you know, what's the percentage that I'm gaining by picking the right deck versus the percentage that I'm losing by maybe not playing it at the, the best, po- the highest possible level. Definitely a tough call to make. Cause you don't know exactly what those percentages are. Yeah. Um, but I, de- yeah, I usually, I usually those based on. It also depends on what format you're talking mm-hmm. about. You know, like if you're talking about modern or you're talking about legacy, you're definitely rewarded by what you know rather than the new deck. Standard, probably playing the new deck gives you a lot more advantage and you'll be less punished by it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I was definitely impressed with uh, was when you top aided. I don't know if it was your last top eight before this one, but when you top eighted that open with Emerge, oh. and then I picked it up, and that deck is literally impossible to play. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know what, oh, you, yeah. what kind of practice you had to put in to get, get good with that deck. I was not ready for that tournament. Well, Zan's just a man, man. Uh, yeah, you, like, you know, you got to understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mana base was messed up during that tournament, and after every round, everybody would come over, and they'd be like, so how are you doing, Zan? I'm like, I messed up my mana, and it's almost cost me every game. This whole <laughs> yeah, right. You were like um, the funny thing. You were like splashing Grim Flayers in your team merge deck in that or something like that, right? I'm, I'm not remembering all of the details, yeah. but so it was the craziest thing. So what happened was all week I was like convinced I'm gonna play play team merge, and I remember I worked on it with Collins. I was working with uh, one of our friends, Evan Whitehouse. I forgot who else was trying to play it Colin. um i think that you and i and maybe evan were like the only people crazy enough to to register that oh. deck um yeah because the deck was like inherently really powerful but the problem was that just like the sequencing decisions and everything like leading up to like your powerful turns were just it's just <laughs> it's so, so impossible to get there yeah Le- leading up to that tournament i remember i t- i've never timed out so much in magic as much as I've timed out with that deck. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to draw every round in this yeah, next yeah. tournament. And um, uh, basically, I woke up uh, on Friday before we, we left to, to drive to where, wherever we were going. I think it was Columbus or Cincinnati. And uh, on the drive up, I was like, I'm going to splash black for Grim Flare. <laughs> and, then I, and, I, and then I told Collins, and Collins decided to stick with Teamer. And Evan decided to also do that, but he sent me his mana base, and his mana base was perfect. But I didn't realize it at the time, and I played this awful mana base. But um, the, I do want to say the thing that inspired me to like really focus and buckle down in that tournament was actually Brandon Decandia, 
he came up to me and he told me my deck sucked. <laughs> I was I was seven two going into day two, and I was like, I literally like then after the first round in day two, I walked up to him. I'm like, I'm gonna top you <laughs> just to rub it, <laughs> and I just won every round and drew with Rossum yeah. into top eight. That was great for sure. Yeah, yeah, nothing like some. I don't know. Nothing like having something to prove. Nothing like having a chip on your shoulder to force you to. Oh yeah, <laughs> to yeah. do things That's right. No, yeah. Definitely. yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully we we did some work towards trying to answer this question because um, it's it's one that I you know am am certainly working on working towards an answer for myself of just like how to learn new decks that I, I don't really know yeah, how to play yeah. yet. So there are uh, there are some specific decks I have a lot of trouble learning. And those are decks like Storm, Dredge, and KCI. Because mm-hmm. uh, those type of decks require you to memorize a lot of different patterns. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So I do want to mention those decks. Those are like really knowledge scenario-based decks. You know, like yeah. like in poker when you're memorizing, oh, this hand against in this position, whatever, you need to memorize like that for those decks. And those are the decks that I can't pick up even when I think that they're well positioned. But I do tell like other people who know how to play the deck, uh, oh, I think Dredge will be well positioned and I know you have experience with it. I'll, I will uh, like tell them to play it that, then. That's, Interesting. That's do you fun. think that that costs you percentage points when you're playing against those decks? since you can't as accurately predict what lines your opponents are likely to take? So I've actually played a little bit of those decks. Like I own them on Moto, but I haven't like really mastered them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's very many decks that I haven't played. So I still have enough knowledge to combat against, against those decks, but... I think the main percentage points I lose is not being able to pick them up when I think they're, they're the best position deck. Sure. Like, sure. I thought I played against uh, Matt Ness at, uh, where, where were we? GP Colorado? I lost my, no, no, we were in Toronto. No, it was in Toronto. It was another one in it. Yeah, so I, I lost my win in it at this GP, but at this, it was I think it was Colorado. I, I played against Matt Ness and uh, I was playing Humans. And I, I beat him. Uh, I beat him with humans, and he was playing KCI. But I remember right after that tournament, I was like, uh, "I really need to learn how to play KCI because I think it's broken." And then I go to the next GP. I go to the next GP, and yet again, I'm sitting next to Matt Ness. I lose my win in, and, and he wins his win. In. And I'm just like, uh, like. Uh, like I was like humans is super well positioned, but if I had the ability to learn that deck uh, or had uh, to learn it fast like I do other decks, uh, I I could have been in in his position instead of mine. Sure. But yeah, interesting. I think that's well, we've all got oh, something nice. to work on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Then I guess I don't really have anything else to talk about. Um, if anybody's got anything to add on this subject or standard or anything else we've talked about today. Uh, I think we, we covered everything that I was thinking about, so. Yeah, yep. I think yep, we're good. Same. Awesome. Zan, dude, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. We really, really appreciate it. Um, it means a lot to us that, that um, you can come on and, and spend some time, so thank you. No, it, it really um, meant a lot to be, uh, be, be on uh, your show. It's just, 
I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to do it after. I <laughs> yeah, got that trophy. Yeah, now you can well, be on the show. <laughs> the entry ticket um but no i mean congratulations like you definitely earned it and i I, we were super psyched to to see you get there so huge congrats on on taking up down atlanta thanks um for our listeners thank you so much for hanging out with us if you want to find us online uh you can find our website uh mtggrindcast.com where we've got episodes and information about us and information about Collins's coaching. You can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast if you are interested in supporting the show. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, I'm tweeting from at mtg underscore grindcast and you can find Collins on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And Zan, where where should we direct people if they want to find you or find Lotus Box or what you know whatever you want to get out there? So my my Twitter is at zan underscore save, and Team Lotus Box is at at Team Lotus Box. If you if you are interested in playing Infect, I've posted a handy dandy sideboard guide on my Twitter. So definitely um, check that out. Go check that out. Yeah. Very helpful. And Zansayed is, is spelled Z-A-N underscore S-Y-E-D. Yep, perfect. Cool. Thanks so much to everybody for listening, and have a great week. So until next time. See ya.